This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Juicers. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Brooke. And this is, for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. Welcome to episode 50. 50. The big O 50. Holy bajoli. Holy bajoli. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 50. That's super exciting. Yeah, I gotta clear my throat. Hold on. Okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, well, I just. Sometimes we do these intros and I have so much to say and then some days I'm like, nah. <laughs> how do we podcast? How does it happen? Well, um, I will say a little something. So guys, um, if you follow our Instagram, you will have probably noticed this, but Sunday, yeah, Sunday, we went to Doll Head Trail, which is a really cool little trail in Atlanta that um basically is covered in doll heads and other trash honestly <laughs> but it was super cool no it was actually really cool i had a lot of fun going mm-hmm. minus the mosquitoes but yeah yeah it was really cool there was a lot of cool i guess it's like a trail where you can make art i wasn't really understanding the instructions because they're like you can add to it but don't put anything new but i'm just like what (laughs) only things found there or something i don't know so they found all those doll heads there i guess who knows everybody just brings baby dolls there and leaves them on accident i don't know i think people brought those in but i i was kind of under the assumption that it had to be like more vintage stuff yeah maybe something like that i don't know but it was really cool so yeah there's this basically doll's head trail starts like half a mile into the woods off of this normal trail Mm -hmm. so it's like a walking path you know just you know hiking the woods and then all of a sudden you come up on these doll heads and toys and weird shit in the woods and it's really cool it's a cool spot for photographs at least it definitely definitely was yeah so people are so hilarious um this one person I guess, I don't know. There was this one. It was probably my favorite one there, but it was some old, uh, um, what were they, pots? And it had a sign that said, uh, Trendy Outdoor Kitchen. Yeah. That made me laugh so hard <laughs> when I saw that. And then there was the corn and it said, Cone Cobs. I didn't see that one. Didn't what see the that? heck? No. <laughs> it, was, it was at the kitchen. Was it? Yeah. Interesting. There's so much to see. There really is. It, it was fun. We had a nice day in Atlanta. Yes, we did. We checked out the coolest antique mall I've ever been to in my entire life. If you guys are not familiar, Kudzu is where it's at. Dude. I do not like antique stores, but I like that place. It, it was, was really nice. awesome. They had really, really cool stuff and lots of like oddities and stuff, which is what I'm into. You know what they had? What? Well, <laughs> you don't care. You don't know. But for those of you who do care. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> um, I found some Lord of the Rings salt and pepper shakers. And if you know me, you know I'm obsessed. I have like three or four tattoos from Lord of the Rings. But um, so it was uh, Aragorn on a horse. And then the other horse was Gimli and Legolas. And like the salt and pepper holes 
came out of the head of the horses Mm -hmm. and um, they were selling them for $25. And I was like, how about not? (laughs) Even though I wanted them so bad. And I I figured I could find them cheaper online, but I can't find them anywhere. Hmm. Literally nowhere. I mean, I found shops that say they have them, but then they don't. Yeah. So I should have just bought them because I, it was really cool to see (laughs) out of everything on or in that place, um, I always look out for Lord of the Rings stuff, and yeah, there, there they were. They have like this whole wall of nothing but salt and pepper shakers, like with all kinds of different characters on them. <laughs> it's pretty neat. It was, yeah, it was really cool. And my sister, who also really likes Lord of the Rings, was so upset at me for not buying them. But I'm like, I just can't justify <laughs> spending twenty five dollars on <sighs> salt and pepper shakers, which I buy salt and pepper shakers all the time and never use them. I just use the box or the container that the salt and pepper comes in because right i don't i don't know but i even i bought some recently at the dollar general because uh they had everything 50 percent off of 50 percent <laughs> so nice they were they were literally like 50 cents for the set okay so i just i just couldn't bring myself to buy them but now <laughs> i kind of regret it <laughs> But whatever. It was a really good day. We had a really good time. Like, I kind of just thought we were going to go there and do the trail and then come, maybe get food and then come back home. But no, we got food twice in Atlanta. <laughs> we got ice cream. Uh-huh. We went to two antique malls. We went to Buffalo Exchange. Um, yeah. Did we get somewhere else? I think that's it. Besides Dollhead Trail. Yeah. It was just a really good day. It was. Had lots of fun. We enjoyed ourselves. Besides the um, the downpour. Yeah. Well, so we told you guys last week we were actually, our plan was to go to Corpsewood Manor, but it's like three and a half hours from here and the weather looked like it was going to be nasty. And you have and to hike into the woods. Like, exactly. What, how, is like two miles into the woods? Something like that. And like people online were saying like, basically don't go unless you've got four wheel drive, which my Jeep does have four wheel drive, but like, I don't know, we just didn't really want to risk it. Well, I did not want to walk two miles in the rain. So, yeah. well, imagine like getting stuck or something too. It know? would have been a nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're, we'll go eventually and um, just expect a video with that because that's the plan is to record all of it. Oh yeah, I'm excited for that. Whenever we do, probably I guess whenever you get back from Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in November or something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or? No. No. What about you? Mm-mm. All right. No. Well, let's just get on into episode 50. Okay. I'm going to crack this water open really fast. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Canned water. <laughs> liquid death. This is an advertisement for liquid death. If you've ever been curious about liquid death, it's just water. <laughs> It's water. It literally is just just a can of water. When we were in Washington, like everybody at the venue was drinking those. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell is that? Water. It's water. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Scotty hears them on podcasts all the time. And I just told you this, but I'm going to tell them. Um, And uh, he's always wanted to try one. He's like, why is it so good? Why is there advertisements for it? Why does everybody say that this water is the best water they've ever had in their lives? (laughs) And I didn't realize it was water at first. I thought it was like an energy drink. Yeah. And then Scotty one day said water. And I was like, a canned water? What? (laughs) And so we could never find them anywhere. So I ordered some on Amazon and we got them today. And Titus was actually the first one to try it. (laughs) 
and I was surprised because Titus is very particular about what he drinks out of. Yeah. And I felt like he would think that was a Coke and we told him it was water and he tried it and he drank it for the rest of the day. So good. And by the rest of the day, I mean like the next two hours. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just water. (laughs) Tastes just like bottled water. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) I guess let's get on in it. Let's do it. So today I will be discussing the Latasha Harlan story. Um, first I will cite my sources and they are blackpast.org, latimes.com, wikipedia.com, and all that's interesting.com. You said you don't know the story. No, I don't know the name, but I might know the story. Okay. I think it's one that needs to be told because believe it or not, until I was kind of Googling, looking, you know, for a story, I had not heard it either. And it's a damn shame. So. Hopefully, we're going to bring some knowledge to you guys today if you haven't heard of it. So, Latasha Harlins was born on July 14th, 1975 in East St. Louis, Illinois. She was the oldest child of Crystal Harlins and Vester Acoff Sr. Now, Vester Acoff never met his daughter. Latasha's youngest brother, or I'm sorry, younger brother, Vester Acoff Jr., was born in 1979 and her younger sister, Christina, was born in 1981. You guys, excuse me if I sound kind of weird today. I've been fighting some sinusy stuff. So in November of 1985, when Latasha was just nine years old, her mother, Crystal, was found murdered in a Los Angeles nightclub. It was said that she got into an argument at the bar after hours and was shot in the chest. Oh, my gosh. She was 26. That's so sad. Yeah. The children's maternal grandmother, Ruth Harlins, then took on and raised Latasha and her two younger siblings. The death of her mom had a devastating effect on Latasha. Oh my gosh, I would bet. Yeah, just a young girl, you know. Uh, Yeah, that's devastating. So um, she began rebelling and she started arguing often with her grandmother and her Aunt Denise. So it was around 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, March 16, 1991, when 15-year-old Latasha walked into the Empire Liquor Market in Delhi near West 91st and South Figura, Figurola, Figura, I, I can't say that. I know somebody with this last name and I can't say it. Figuera, Figuera, I don't know how you say it, Street. <laughs> so West 91st and South Figueroa Street. I don't know. (laughs) So she was going to buy a bottle of orange juice to take home to her family. Yeah. Her grandmother had warned her before not to shop at Empire because the owners were known to accuse the neighborhood kids of stealing. The store was run by the Du family, a Korean American family. Racial tensions were high in LA at this time. They'd been building for years between blacks who lived in South L.A. and Korean-Americans who, like the Dews, ran businesses there. Korean-Americans said that African-Americans shoplifted and were dangerous customers, said UCLA historian Brenda Stevenson. And African-Americans accused Korean-Americans of being racist. So everything was just super tense between the two communities at this time. 
So Latasha walks into Empire and she grabbed a bottle of orange juice that cost $1.79. And she just kind of stuck it in her backpack. And she starts walking towards the cash register. And before she can present the $2 bills that she has in her hand, 51-year-old Soon Jadu, the matriarch of the family, accuses her of stealing it. Du herself had been on edge all morning. Her family ran several stores, but her son typically worked at this location. At the time, Du's husband was outside resting in their van. Their son had recently testified in court against gang members in the area because they were stealing from the store and harassing the staff. So Du had filled his spot that morning. With the belief that Latasha was also stealing from her, she reached over the counter and grabs Latasha's backpack. Let me go, let me go, Latasha screams, but Du didn't let up. Imagine just somebody snatching you and you're just trying to pay for some orange juice. I mean, I can understand thinking maybe she was stealing it by putting it in her backpack, but that's not how you go about that. No. Just call the police. Absolutely if, I mean, not. You could wait a few more moments. She came to the register. Yeah. Then you know she's going to pay for it. If not, then you just call the police. It's a freaking bottle of orange juice. Exactly. So a fight between the two quickly ensues. Latasha punches Dew, knocks her over, and heads for the door. Now, mind you, this is a little teenage girl, right? It's a Korean woman. Dew picks up a handgun and fires a shot into the back of Latasha's head at point-blank range. Wow. Over some orange juice. Over some orange juice. Okay. Latasha Harlan's body lies motionless in a pool of blood. When the police arrive on the scene, they find $2 in the child's hand. That's so sad. How fucked is that? That's so sad. So sad. They give people the benefit of the doubt. Like how the, what the hell was going through your mind that you just shoot a child in the back of the head as she's exiting your store? A child. A child. Disgusting. During the trial, Du claimed that she asked Latasha if she intended to pay for the orange juice, to which Du claimed Harlan's responded, what orange juice? Two eyewitnesses, though, a nine-year-old and his 13-year-old sister, denied Du's claim. They said instead that Du called Latasha a bitch and accused her of trying to steal, to which they claimed Latasha replied that she intended to pay for the orange juice. After speaking with the two eyewitnesses present and viewing the videotape of the incident, recorded by a, a store security camera, Police concluded that Latasha did intend to pay for the beverage and had money in hand. The jurors were warned in court. This is not television. This is not the movies. This is the deputy district attorney Mm -hmm. telling them. This is real life. You will see Latasha being killed. She will die right in front of your eyes. Wow. The videotape showed Dew grabbing Latasha by her sweater and snatching her backpack. Latasha then struck Dew with her fist twice, knocking Dew to the ground. After Latasha backed away, Dew angrily uh, threw a stool at her. Latasha then picked up the orange juice bottle that dropped during the fight. Dew snatched the bottle from her, and Latasha turned to leave. It was then that Dew reached under the counter, retrieved her revolver, and fired at Harlan's from uh, from behind at a distance of about three feet. The gunshot struck Harlan's in the back of the head, killing her instantly. 
If this bitch doesn't get the death sentence, I'm going to riot. <laughs> Du's husband, Billy Hung Kaidu, heard the gunshot and ran into the store. After speaking to his wife, who asked where Latasha went before feigning, he dialed 911 to report an attempted holdup. Soon Jadu testified on her own behalf, claiming that the shooting was in self-defense and that she believed her life was in danger. Yeah, as the teen exits the building. Mm-hmm. But her testimony was contradicted by the statement of the two witnesses that were present at the time, the two kids. I can't even see how this goes wrong. It's like so much evidence. Yeah, of course. As well as the security camera video, which showed Du shooting Latasha Harlins in the back of the head as the teenager attempted to leave the store. That's so gross. So gross. The L.A. Police Department ballistics report also found that the handgun Dew used was altered in such a way that it required much less pressure on the trigger to fire than an ordinary handgun. That's psychotic and scary. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do you want to kill that easily? Yeah. That's what I want to know. I wonder if it could have been like something maybe her husband did for her. Maybe she wasn't that strong or something and wanted her to be able to fire quickly. I don't know. Or if it was just like done so that like you could kill fast. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never pulled the trigger of a gun, so I don't even know how hard it is. Or <laughs> I, I assume it's not that hard. I don't know. On November 15th, 1991, the jury decided that Dew's decision to fire the gun was fully within her control and that she had fired the gun voluntarily. Oh, okay. Okay. I see what you're yeah. saying. Okay. You're saying that it was within right. her control. Yeah. Okay. The jury found Due guilty of voluntary manslaughter, an offense that carries a maximum prison sentence of 16 years. However, the trial judge, Joyce Carlin, released Due and sentenced her to five years of probation, 10 years of suspended prison, 400 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. So a slap on the wrist. Basically. For murdering a teenage girl who was trying to buy orange juice. Yes. And this is what the judge says. Did Miss Dew react inappropriately? Absolutely. But was that reaction understandable? I think that it was. No. Like, no. fuck off. No. Yeah. Yep. This, her life was not in danger. She was running out of the store. She was yeah. trying to leave. She was fleeing yes. for her life. Yes. The court also stated that Dew shot Latasha Harlins under extreme duress and deemed it unlikely that Dew would ever commit a serious crime again. I'm sure. Furthermore, Judge Carlin deemed that Dew's capacity to, capacity to act rationally in the situation was undermined by her experience with past robberies. The black community was outraged. As they should be. As anyone should be. Yeah. Relations between the black and Korean communities continued to go downhill. Despite intervention from leaders on both communities, the time after the death of Latasha Harlins was full of boycotts, tense debate, bitterness, and more convenience store murders. However, while tensions had exponent, exponentially, 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 I can't <laughs> say big words today. It's okay. Increased because of the killing of Latasha Harlins. They were built on existing conflict that had been present in the community already. 
During the 1992 Los Angeles riots, residents of Latasha Harlan's neighborhood took to, took to the streets in outrage. They called her name as they set fire to hundreds of Korean-owned businesses. Not helping the situation, it had only been two weeks since Rodney King was pulled over by four LAPD officers, three of which whom were white, for speeding. The officers shot him twice with a taser, then brutally beat him with batons before handcuffing him. Rodney King suffered massive injuries, including several skull fractures, broken bones, and teeth, and permanent brain damage. So sad. So, at this point, yeah, the black community is pissed. Yes. I mean, very clearly, we have a lot of um, abuse, a lot of killings Mm -hmm. um, towards blacks, you know. And unfortunately, here we are all these years later and Still. still have a lot of this shit going on. In the same exact boat, yep. So most of the targets of the destruction and the riots were Korean stores, and more than 2,000 Korean stores were burned or looted. 2,000? 2,000. Dang. Due sentencing eerily reflected that of the police officers who beat Rodney King. In both cases, there was concrete video evidence depicting wrongdoing in both cases. Just like uh, George Floyd? Yes. The defendants didn't serve any jail time. Tensions only got worse between the black and Korean communities after these events. Empire Liquor was looted and burned down during the riots, and it never reopened. The property later became another market under new ownership. The, ri- the riots left the city with $1 billion worth of damage. Wow. Judge Carlin also became the target of protests, as she should have. Definitely, for sure. Mm-hmm. You don't give a sentence like that and then just live your life normally. Ex- like exactly. Denise Harlan's, Latasha's aunt, led protests outside Carlin's home and the Compton courthouse. Protesters noticed that a week after Latasha Harlan's death, a Glendale man received a more severe sentence than due for kicking a dog. A shame, shame. Excuse me as I go jump off a cliff. Shame, shame. So disgusting. The Harlan's family held vigils outside the due residence every year on the anniversary of her sentencing. Now, Tupac was particularly touched by Latasha's story, and he wrote and released numerous songs about her. And Ice Cube composed a song about the incident. In 1998, the California State Assembly named April 29th as Latasha Harlan's Day. In early 2021, a mural mural celebrating Latasha Harlan's was unveiled in front of the Anglin Sutton Recreation Center. Nowadays, there seems to be more promising interaction between the Blacks and Koreans in L.A., as younger generation Koreans show up in large numbers and in some cases even organize protests in L.A. to support Black Lives Matter. Thank you. Round of applause. (laughs) Latasha is buried next to her mother in Paradise Memorial Park in Santa Fe Springs, California. And I know that was a very short one this week, but that is the story of Latasha Harlan's. That's so sad. 
absolutely heartbreaking. And like I said, I had never heard it. And I think that's just terrible. And you've never heard it. Mm -mm. It's not a very well-known one. But, you know, like I said, this kind of thing is still happening to this day. And there's these names. Yeah, sure. It was, you know, almost 30 years ago. But this should be known. She should be known, you know. I agree. I just can't imagine leaving your house to go buy some orange juice and then never returning as because a 15 year old child yeah because the store owner is trigger happy and just kills you yeah. yeah like they tried to make it seem like she was just so traumatized and on edge you know that she from... doesn't need to be running a store exactly exactly if you are that scared and paranoid it's time for a career switch yep i agree wow so ridiculous i'm glad that they made the mural in a day in her honor and that there were songs written about her. Like, I wonder how that woman feels to this day. She probably thinks that she's in the right for what she did. Oof. When a judge tells you that you're in the right with, for what you did, you'll take it to your grave. Yeah. Like that you're going to die knowing that you did what you felt was right. Oh, it was understandable. Oh, no, was it? it wasn't mm-hmm. at all. I, I mean, if she took out a gun and was pointing at you, yes, sure. I guess. Yeah. But if she's running out of the store, no. No. So gross. Hate it. Hate to hear it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break here and then we'll return with part two. Welcome back guys hi we just had pork chop things pork tenderloin whatever same what is it the same thing no no well it's pork we just had pork and rice and green beans green beans a green bean <laughs> <laughs> um it was really good twas a twas um okay well i want to um kind of give like a trigger warning before mine because it involves the death of a child um kind of the death and torture of a child by two other children so Mm -hmm. this case is pretty rough and uh you know it's kind of and by kind of i mean hugely unsettling so Mm -hmm. i am covering the horrific murder of james bulger and um, my sources are Wikipedia and then a 60 Seconds Australia documentary, um, which, um, so it, the title on the video said the James Bulger murder inside the Chilling Police Investigation, but I think it might be called something else because that's what it said, like on the, uh, like in the actual video, it was like unforgivable, unforgettable or something like that. Okay. I don't remember exactly. I should have wrote it down. But if you type that in, you can find it. And it was a good documentary. So, So, um, James Boulder was born March 16th, 1990. And his mom described him as a little character who loved to make people laugh and that he was loved by all who met him. And in the documentary, it showed like home videos of James um, he was only two and, um, he is smiling in every single video, Ow. just kind of running around and being a cute little two year old. And, 
you know, it just, seeing that, seeing those videos just made this even more sad because, you know, we can listen to stories all day, but when you see things like that, you know, it humanizes them more. They become more than just a story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So definitely check out that documentary. Um, so on February 12th, 1993, James's mother, Denise, dressed James in a big coat with gloves and a scarf. It was a very cold day and James and his mother were going to the Strand Shopping Center in Boodle with one of her girlfriends. She describes this as the worst mistake of her life. Mm. This takes place in Australia? No, in, uh, I think it was Liverpool in the UK. Okay. Um, After being at the shopping mall for a while, Denise decided to head to the butcher before leaving Um, James was, you know, getting, you know, how kids get when you're dragging them everywhere. They just kind of start running around and getting antsy and that's what he was doing. So, um, you know, Denise kind of recognized this as, you know, an issue uh, because that's when things get dangerous because your kid will just run off because they're just tired of standing there with you as you do things. So she grabbed his hand, um, and when they made their way to the register, she let go just for a second to pay for the meat that she had just picked out. Um, And when she looked back down, James was gone. And this is why we use leashes. Yes, it is. So Denise ran to, um, they said their reception I've, there's a lot in here that I didn't recognize, like we don't say here mm-hmm. in the U.S. Um, so I assume it's more, um, you know, um, like like a help desk or okay. something like that. Um, and she informed them that James had ran off and she couldn't find him. So they put it, you know, over their channel to get the word out there so they could be on the lookout for the boy. Um and Denise in the documentary describes a minute while your child is missing as feeling like, you know, an eternity. Yeah. The police were called 40 minutes into James being missing. The police were trying to get as much information from Denise as possible, like if James was the type of boy who would wander off on his own. But it was proving to be difficult because Denise was just so upset. Yeah, I'm sure she's distraught. Oh, yeah. She's she can't think straight. Probably frantic and, you know, can't, like, um, you know, create coherent sentences. It's probably, you know, one thought dashing to the other. And yeah. I can't imagine. So the day grew later and later and the sun was setting. Denise couldn't help but imagine James outside freezing alone in the dark. Four hours into James's disappearance... Um, the the Merseyside police um, took over the search for James. Jim Fitzsimmons uh, was the detective inspector of the Merseyside police. All of the available officers in Boodle were involved in the search. As the stores began to close, Denise was asked to go to the police station. She found this difficult to do because she didn't want to leave the place that she last saw her son, which I completely understand that. Oh, that would be devastating. She said in the documentary that you don't want to leave the place that you came into with your son. And, you know, now you're leaving without him. Yeah. Like that just broke my heart for her. That makes it all the more real. Yeah. 
So the police found a witness who claimed to have seen a young child crying who was by the canal that runs alongside the shopping mall. Jim Fitzsimmons' fear was that James had wandered off and got too close to the canal and fell in. Nine hours into James's disappearance, the police watched the CCTV, the CCTV footage in the shopping mall. In the footage, they saw James holding the hand of a boy and his friend who were leading him away. Hmm. Fitzsimmons was surprised to see this happening. He couldn't help but to question what was happening because it was the last thing he expected to see in the footage. You almost, as a mother, might have relief in some way. Well, she does. Yeah. So, um, so this changed the whole focus for police because now they were dealing with an abduction and not just James wandering off all by himself. Mm-hmm. It took about... 31 seconds for the boys to lead James from his mother at one side of the shopping center to the other side of the shopping center and out of the doors. This is how fast your kid can get away from you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 31 seconds. She's paying. It's terrifying. And her son is already out of the shopping mall. Yeah. 17 hours into James's disappearance, Denise and her husband had a press conference in order to get her voice out there in hopes that someone had seen anything that could help them find their, find their son. Denise said, I wanted to let people know that he was mine, not theirs, and if you've got him and he isn't back, I want him back. Mandy Waller, who is the police constable of Merseyside, talks about how the initial thought of two kids taking James seemed safer than if it had been an adult. Yeah. She wondered if the boys were trying to take him home or maybe even to play. Jim Fitzsimmons had the same thought process, that it had to be less sinister. He wondered if it had been a prank that went wrong or something of the sort. When Denise found out that James was seen following two young boys, she instantly felt relieved and knew that she was going to get her son back soon. Mm-hmm. The footage wasn't very clear, but they could distinguish that the two boys were white teenagers and one was wearing a leather jacket. Throughout the day on Saturday, there was a lot of people calling the police with information about James and the two boys. The police looked through all the footage where James was seen walking to try and identify the people around who could potentially have, you know, any information. Mm-hmm. As the hours passed, Denise began to become more worried. Like, what if the boys were too scared to give James back? Because, you know, at this point, it's all over the news, Mm -hmm. you know. 30 hours into James being missing, and the concern intensifies. It's now his second night away from his home and family. But Fitzsimmons was convinced that James would be fine and that they'd find him on Saturday. Mm. A witness claimed to have seen a boy that matched James's description near a reservoir with two young boys. Police notified people in the area to check their gardens for any sign that James and the boys may have been there. Mm-hmm. Then it became Sunday, February 14th, 1993, with still no sign of James. So he was wrong about the Saturday. Mandy Waller decided to take Denise on a drive around the town just to get some fresh air and, you know, kind of look around for James, you know, just get her out of the police station and kind of out of her head. Yeah. Um, But a call came through the radio saying that they needed to head back to the police station and for Mandy to switch her radio off. Oh, my gosh. Denise asked Mandy why she was being called back to the police station 
and Mandy told her that she didn't know why. But Denise knew that it meant that they had found James and that it wasn't going to be good news. So, um, it turns out that, um, you know, the reason why was because somebody had found a, a body. Two schoolboys had found it. Mm. And the body was confirmed to be James. Mandy said that once Denise was told that the body was his, she let out a horrific, just gut-wrenching scream, mm. which just breaks my heart. I cannot imagine. Mm-mm. They found his body by some railroad tracks a little over two miles from the shopping center he disappeared from. Jeez. Phil Roberts, who was the the detective sergeant with Merseyside Police, talked in the documentary about how he has witnessed a lot of tragedy, but nothing compared to this one. There was a business close by to where James um, was found. Um, okay, there was a business close by to where um, James's body was found that had a camera pointing towards the parking lot, and it captured a clip of James walking with the two young boys by like a small wall, you know, like a half wall. Yeah. Um, and originally they were looking for, you know, boys between the ages of 12 and 15. But by comparing the height of the boys to the size of the wall, they were able to get a better age estimate. Younger. Yes, they, they were younger. So a woman came into the police station who was obviously just in a frenzy. Like she was just frantic and there was something obviously wrong. She said that she had been at a family friend's house on Friday the 12th and that their son had come home dirty um, with paint on his jacket and that he had been hanging out with another boy that he went to school with. The boy was only 10 years old. She said that the photo of the boy taken by the cameras in the shopping mall looked a lot like him, but that she wasn't sure because the pictures were so blurry. The boy's name was John Vindables. So Fitzsimmons called the school that John went to and asked the headmistress if he had been at school on that Friday. And she told him that he hadn't been there and that he and another student named Robert Thompson had played hooky that day. A team of detectives were dispatched to arrest John and another to arrest Robert. Oh, my God. They were both taken to separate police stations to be interviewed. And in the documentary, you know, all these um, policemen are like, you know, um, you know, we just couldn't imagine something so horrific Mm -hmm. coming from two 10 year olds. It wasn't it wasn't like a yes, we found them type of thing. It was more of a oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. like I cannot believe this. Mm hmm. So during John's interview, they asked him if he and Robert had gone to the shopping center the day that James went missing, to which he replied, we never. But the manager of one of the stores told police that he had seen two boys, which he believed to be John and Robert, hanging outside of the store and that they had been touching the glass windows. So investigators lifted fingerprints off the entire glass of the front of the store and found some that matched John. Mm-hmm. The two boys were skipping school on that at that shopping mall. They stole a few items, including candy, a troll doll, batteries, and a can of blue ca- a can of blue paint. We're talking about ten years old. Ten, yes. Can you skipping imagine skipping school <laughs> at ten? I cannot imagine. What badass kids! Yeah. 
So one of them admitted that they were trying to find a child to abduct and then lead him to the busy road alongside the shopping center to push him out into traffic. Ew. Yeah. In Robert's interview, Robert explains that James was running around and that John approached him and said, come here, and then grabbed his hand and walked out of the store. Robert denied killing James. He said, why would I want to kill him when I've got a baby of me own? If I wanted to kill a baby, I'd kill my own, wouldn't I? Mm. Like, yikes. Like, mm. no. What? What kind of statement is that? Oh, my God. What, does he have, like, a little brother or something? I guess, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody uh, commented on that and said, you know, this boy has a warped mind because why would that even be your first thought? You yeah. Know? The detective also asked him what James uh, said to them while he was with them. And Robert, in the voice of a scared and sad child, said, I want my mom. Like, he literally copied the way that James said it. Mm. Isn't that scary? Yeah, that's terrifying. While interrogating John, they um, tell him that Robert already admitted that they were at the shopping mall which is when John finally admits that they were there. He admits that they walked up to James and took him by the hand and led him away. He also admitted that it was his idea to approach James, but that it was Robert's idea to kill him. Why? A two-year-old baby. I don't know. These are some very disturbed children. John's fear wasn't getting in trouble with the police, but upsetting his mom. That's what he was scared of. Mm. So she kind of, you know, took him aside and told him, you know, no matter what you did, we love you. Um, You know, we're always going to support you. We're always going to be there for you. And so when John kind of realized, oh, my mom is in my corner, he admitted to killing James. Mm. So John tells detectives that he and Robert took James to the canal where they planned to throw him in the water. Robert was trying to get James to kneel down to look at the water, but he wouldn't do it. Um, And the plan was, you know, to get him to kind of kneel down and look into the water, and then they would push him in. Ugh, so disgusting. Right. So Robert picked James up and threw him down on the ground, causing him to have a bump on his head. And he did that because he was mad. Yeah. Then John and Robert took James to Walton Village, where they were walking alongside the train tracks. They started throwing bricks at him. John pushes all the blame on Robert, saying that Robert told him to pick up bricks and throw them at James, but that he that he just threw it at the ground instead, just near James. Like he didn't throw it at James. He just threw it near James. Mm -hmm. Robert told investigators that John had thrown a brick at James's face. So what the fuck is wrong with these children? I don't know. John said that Robert when Robert was throwing bricks at James, um, he kept uh, telling him to stay down, you stupid Debbie. And I didn't know what that meant, but it's basically slang for idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, he also said that Robert hit him in the head with a bar, like a like an iron bar, oh my God. which knocked James out. Oh. So basically, neither one of them are admitting to actually hurting or killing James. They're just kind of pushing, you know, the... Uh, the blame onto the other and they did this the entire time so 
kind of all in all, this is what detectives were able to get out of the boys. It's not clear who did what, but this is what happened. And then there's physical evidence to prove it. Mm -hmm. One of the boys threw blue modeling paint into James's left eye. (sighs) They kicked, stomped on him and threw bricks and stones at him. They shoved batteries into his mouth. And according to police, it was likely that they shoved them into his rectum. Even though batteries were not found there. The boys then dropped a 22-pound railway fish plate onto James's head. Mm. An autopsy would report that he sustained 10 skull fractures from the iron bar hitting his head. Oh, my God. The brain damage was extensive and also included a hemorrhage. Not a single injury out of all 42 could be identified as the fatal blow. Mm. Yeah. Um, And I actually think they just dropped the railway fish plate onto him. I don't think it was on his head because uh, I don't think that would have crushed his head in. But um, I think they just dropped it on him. I mean, 10 skull breaks. I mean, that's... They were like whacking him with an iron bar. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That is disgusting. What the hell? I don't know. I mean, imagine being 10 and wanting to murder somebody. Oh, my God. A baby. A baby. A two-year-old baby. Uh, The boys then laid James across the the railway tracks and weighed his head down with rubble. They were hoping that a train would, you know, come by and hit him Mm -hmm. so that it would look like an accident. Um, so they leave, and sometime after that, a train did come through and cut his body in half. Oh, my God. A forensic pathologist determined that James had died before being hit by the train, so at least there's that. I don't know why, but just the train running over him just, like, gave me chills up my body. It's like, just an extra added unnecessary thing. Oh, my God. When the boys were, oh, sorry. Okay, so the police suspected that the murder had a sexual element to it, considering James's shoes, socks, pants, and underwear had been removed. They also found that his foreskin had also been forcefully pulled back. What the fuck? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine, like, what's going on in your head. little children. When the boys were questioned about this, they denied any sexual aspect of the of the assault. Of course they did. Right. So regardless, on February 20th, 1993, John and Robert were charged with the murder of James Bulger. They became the two youngest children to face murder charges in the UK for over 100 years. Wow. Ten days after the murder of James, the two boys appear at Sefton Magistrate's Court. People were crowded outside waiting for the transport van to arrive, all the while chanting, let them go, let them go, let them go, let them sort it out. What? Like, talking about wanting to take the law into their own hands. Like, wanting basically to fuck these kids up. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Like, they want them to let the kids go so they can fuck them up. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's video footage of this event, and people are literally diving at the van trying to get to the two boys. Wow. And police are having to, like, detain people and move them away. Yeah. Like, these are two 10-year-old boys, and the the world hates them. Yeah. Because how disgusting. Mm -hmm. James's funeral was held at Sacred Heart Church in Kirby. People lined the streets as James's casket was taken to the cemetery. 
The whole community was grieving the tragic murder of this poor, sweet little boy. Everyone felt the void that James left behind. On November 1st, 1993, John and Robert stood trial for the murder of James Bulger. Sir Richard um, uh, Henriquez, um, Queen's counsel, was the leading prosecuting counsel who called in 38 witnesses, 11 of them who saw John and Robert take the two and a half mile journey. They were under the impression that the three of them were brothers. Yeah. And apparently two of them stopped and asked about it. And, and they would either say, oh, we're brothers or, oh, he's lost and we're taking him to the police. Yeah. I mean, why would you have any suspicions, you know, of anything right. weird going on? But that's a long walk two for 10-year-olds. Yeah. And for a baby. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. So many of these witnesses felt extreme guilt for not realizing what was going on. How could you? Right, exactly. And Denise says that she doesn't blame a single one of them for not intervening because who would suspect a 10-year-old, two 10-year-olds, you know, Mm -hmm. about to murder a child, a baby. James had 42 separate injuries and a minimum of 30 separate blows done by bricks, stones, a metal object, or feet to James's body. Mm. Robert's shoes were taken by police where they determined that the laces on his shoes caused impressions on James's face where he had kicked him in the face. My God. So like he kicked him with the top of his foot. <sighs> so hard that it left shoelace and yeah. prints. Right. My God. So Robert's over here blaming all of it on John when mm-hmm. they have this concrete evidence that he kicked this two-year-old in the face. Ugh. So hard that his shoelaces left an impression. <sighs> During the trial, neither boy spoke. It was believed that Robert took the lead on abducting James while it was John's idea to take James to the railroad tracks. John also would mention how James seemed to like him and how he would hold his hand and let John pick him up and carry him as they led the way to his death. Oh, my God. Isn't that so sad? I'm sure as a two-year-old, you're excited to be hanging out with these big kids. Right. You know? Right. God. After doing this, I'm literally going to sit down with Titus and be like, do not go with anybody who's not me or dad. Yeah. If you do not know them, do not go with them. Doesn't matter if they're a kid or not. Right. No, that's so scary. It, you, you just never, I mean, even like with your story, you just, you go in somewhere and then your life just changes forever or it ends. Mm. And it, you're just not safe anywhere. So Lawrence Lee, who was the solicitor of John, said that he was the most terrifying child he had ever seen and even compared him to the Pied Piper. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Ten ten years old. I I just can't get over that. And imagine two of them. I can't. Two of them. I mean, I feel like one of them was probably like the ringleader. I think it was John. Yeah. But even still, like for another child to go along with it. Like, aren't yeah. you two a match made in hell? Right. Like, how do two people like that end up in the same room, the same place, and they both just have a hankering to kill? Ugh. How does that happen? Mm. So after um, his appearance in court, John would take off his clothes and say, 
I can still smell James like a baby smell. What? Yeah. I don't know what that means, but fuck off. Ew. Like, just fuck off. So the day of the verdict, the court was absolutely packed with people. There was worry amongst everyone that the jury wouldn't be able to look past the age of the two boys, resulting in a lost conviction of murder. John and Robert were found guilty. Robert was gasping for air in complete shock at the verdict, Uh. while John just sat there and cried. Like, why are you gasping? You murdered a baby. You violently murdered a baby. Why, Why are you shocked? Gross. The judge, Mr. Justice Moreland, told Thompson and, um, sorry, okay, told uh, Robert and John that they had committed a crime of unparalleled evil and, um, (laughs) sorry, I misspelled the word and I don't know what it is now. (laughs) Okay, just unparalleled evil and something that I obviously fucked up really bad. Um, And he also said, in my judgment, your conduct was both cunning and very wicked. The judge also told the boys that they would um, serve very, very many years in prison. But unfortunately, very, very many years only meant seven years and eight months. Eh. Denise said, that wasn't just a kick in the teeth. It was a stab in the back. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, they just get to spend the rest of their childhood in there, and then they're free to go. Well, it gets much worse. So they didn't even go to prison. They served their time in a secure children's home. Wow. Wow. The injustice. It's so disgusting. Of so many of these stories. Like, I get they're 10, but any 10-year-old who can commit such a tragedy, knowing good and well that it's wrong, Mm -hmm. they just deserve the punishment that anybody else would get. That's right. 10 years old is old enough to know that what you're doing is fucked up. Yeah. You're taking a life. Mm Mm-hmm. Violently. Right. You're not just taking a life. You're ruining so many other lives. It's just they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. It was all like planned out. Yeah. I mean, that's already been said. Right. So um, after the release of both boys, um, they were given new identities and Mm -hmm. placed in a witness protection-esque program. I was thinking that would happen. Yep. Where they were put under a lifelong license, which I didn't know what that means. Do you know what that means? No. It's, I think it's kind of like parole. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the boys could never contact the, um, the other ever again, along with other things such as an implementation of curfew and never being able to go to Merseyside ever again. And they were never allowed to contact the Bulger family. Mm-hmm. And both boys were diagnosed with PTSD, but it's like, mm-hmm. fuck you. You did it to yourself. So basically, they are adult men out there somewhere living a new life with new names, and nobody knows who they are. So I could not find any information about Robert, but yeah. John has... Um, Committed other crimes. 
Yes. So shortly before January, or sorry, shortly before John was released in 2001 at the age of 17, allegedly he had had sex with a woman who worked at his detention center. She was suspended and never returned to work. Um, He began to live on his own in 2002, where he got into a relationship with a woman who had a five-year-old child. Oh, no. Not only that, but it came to light that John had been... Molesting it. No. Downloading child pornography on his computer. Oh, my God. Um, He was posing as like some grown woman who um was like looking to fuck an eight-year-old or she molested her eight-year-old like in chat rooms you know trying to fish for other pedophiles to send him stuff and gross he uh uh he um was uh uploading the child pornography to like a a website where you can um, I guess share it with other people mm-hmm. and so he was also distributing it um, so then uh, he also began excessively drinking and doing drugs in March of 2010 John was sent back to prison due to some pretty serious accusations but no details are known about them except the child pornography Mm-mm. He was charged with the possession and distribution of indecent images of children. There was uh, there was over 57 indecent images of children over a 12-month period. Gross. He was released from prison in 2013, but ended back in prison in 2017 for the same fucking thing. Oh, my God. So, clearly, just fucked up person. This is an issue. I it's, mean, you just keep him there. Yeah. Like, clearly, he's not rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. He's just... A demented sack of shit. Right. And in, in one part of it, they were saying that he had a lot of girlfriends who were young, like 17 and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And they're like, it's obvious that he's um, not matured. Uh, or maybe he's just a pedophile. Yeah. I mean, clearly they thought that something sexual happened with mm-hmm. um, James. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, probably something was happening to them. Yeah. And they just followed suit. Mm. It's fucking gross. Shameful. And I feel so bad for Denise and for her, for James's dad. And it was a baby. Like, how? I don't know, just and also just the injustice of sending these two to a secure children's center. Like what? Yeah. Like what? Why would you do that? Well, I guess. I mean, I mean, I guess they could have been put in juvenile. Well, that's what they were wanting. Yeah. For them to go there, but I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. It's like then there'd be people that are like, "Oh, but they're children. They're babies." You know babies who kill yeah yeah they deserve a a great punishment for that i agree well so did all sunju do or whatever sunjun <laughs> to whatever her name was but <laughs> clearly our justice system does not work that way nope it can be very unfair at times and it's really really fucked up and sad 
And so many of these times, the offender gets so much less than they should have. It happens in a lot, a lot of cases Mm -hmm. where... You know, these people are in and out of prison constantly or they do something horrific and they get a slap on the wrist. And it's like, do you not see a pattern? Like, can you not tell that? I mean, let's just give them another chance. If a 10 year old, two 10 year olds can go as far as, you know, beating a two year old over the head with an iron bar and, you know, kicking his face in and uh, ripping his foreskin back. Disgusting. Every, like, there's, it's clearly not something that's just going to get better. No. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And it did. And and imagine doing that at 10. Like, Ugh. do it at 10. Imagine how terrible you're going to be when you're an adult. Mm-hmm. And, like, the things that I listed are only the things that John was convicted of. Yeah. Who knows what he did in his spare time? Yeah. You know, who knows what he did that we don't know about? Blech. Gross. Right. So, guys, thank you for listening. Sorry we both had some pretty terrible injustices to tell you. And forgive me for probably the shortest uh, part in podcast history. But, um, unfortunately, there just was not a whole lot out of there about Latasha Harlan. Um, But I hope you all learned something new. I definitely did. So... I'm always um, happy when I can share a story that Alyssa hasn't heard of because she's like the true crime podcast queen. So. <laughs> I just have listened to podcasts for like so long. Like she knows every story. Like a lot of times before we start, she's like, so who are you covering? And I tell her and I'm like, who are you covering? And she, I'd say like 80% of the time she knows the story. And I'm like, oh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like I try to even pick stuff that's like not well known and she knows it because I listen to podcasts all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so most of the time, though, I don't usually always recognize the name. But as soon as the story gets going. I I know what it is. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, I do know this one. Dude, we legit had to like cut off a whole sentence out of the podcast one time because I start telling a story and Alyssa's like, oh, I've heard one like this and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And I look at her and I'm like, yeah, that's the story I'm telling. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Two minutes into my episode, just telling the whole story. <laughs> but but in my defense, okay, I was, um, it'd been a long time since I had heard it and I thought that there were some like big differences in it. <laughs> and turns there out there were not. So, but I cut it all out and um, I didn't ruin the story. So. No, no, she didn't. Just between us, she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, thank you guys for listening. And if you want to join our Facebook group, you should do that. Um, For God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. And you can follow our Instagram and our TikTok at don't drink the Jones juice. And you can buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. And send us no send us your own personal true crime or paranormal 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 stories to our email at uh don't drink the jones juice at gmail.com i think we have four in there so So we we just need need two more at least two more yes at least two more or send them send them send them we're gonna have to um fill them with creepy pastas like we did that one time yeah i want <laughs> listener stories i do too so send them in please i've actually been really wanting to do another one i know yeah 
All right, guys. Thanks for uh, hanging out for 50 episodes. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It's, <laughs> yeah, 50 is a lot. That is a lot. It really is. You guys are great. Yes. Much love. Much, much, much love. <laughs> and for God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>